0: Well, good morning. It is good to to see you all on this wonderful Sunday morning. It's wonderful because we get to be in church, and it's even more wonderful because we get to look around and see all of your smiling faces. And so we are excited to be gathered together here at Cross Timber, welcome you if you're a visitor, if you're a regular folk, or if you are tuning in online. We are so glad that you have joined us this morning, and we look forward to our our time of worship together as we... um, we lift up the name of the Lord Jesus and we sing about Him, we pray, we study God's Word, and then after we get finished, we get to eat. And so that's exciting, and more about that in just a minute. But if you are visiting, we are so glad you are here. There is a little can card in the bulletin that you can use if you need to ask questions, if you want to share a prayer request, and I know many of you take advantage of that to get prayer requests out there so we can be praying. Just if you do share a prayer request, there's a little box you can check whether or not you would like us to share that out over our email or not, and depending on which one you select, we'll honor your request. So um, take advantage of that. Also, if you need to update information or ask questions, you can do that. I'm um, just excited this morning to, to be here and to, um, to gather together and got to look around and see some, some familiar faces, and um, we're good. And In fact, um, we have the Pruitts here this morning. We have the Stanfords um, here who are our first family in our mission house that have um, my daughter has since adopted um, herself into their family at least temporarily. Um, this morning, um, there, there's a, a common thread there of linguistics and language, and so. Uh, but we are glad that you are here. We're glad to be here together, and we are glad to be able to um, worship um, the Lord Jesus. I have a few things I'd like to mention before we read from the second from Second Corinthians. Um, Starting at the end of chapter 5, the first thing is that right after the service today, everyone is invited um, to our fellowship lunch. Um, we have plenty of food, so if you brought a dish, thank you. If you didn't bring anything, don't worry. Um, there's, there's plenty of food. We would love for you to say this is a great way to get to hang out with people, get to know people better, and it's, it, it's, it's, such a, it's so far superior to be in, in a worship service as far as getting to talk to people and, and find a little bit more about them. And so if you haven't ever stayed, we invite you to stay. Um, we'll, um, we'll make a clear break between the meal and our business meeting, so if you don't want to stay for that, you'll have opportunity to leave. We're not just trying to rope you into a, a business meeting, but we do hope that if you are a member, you'll stay for that as we look at what God is doing and is up to here at Cross Timber. And so that's right after the service today. Um, coming up on the 30th, which is coming quickly in two weeks, um, we are having... Um, our fifth Sunday fellowship, which this time will be a church-wide talent show and ice cream fellowship, um, hosted by our worship team. So, if you have a talent, um, that doesn't have to to be, um, you know, singing. It can be any form of talent. We would love to um, enjoy that um, time together. Just be sure and sign up so we know how to we know you're going to participate. And there's a sign-up sheet on the little table out there. And then also we'll enjoy ice cream and other. Groups that together. That's coming up in two weeks. It'll be at six o'clock. And um, then also, just exciting. Um, we we launched our our new um, couple Sunday school class this morning, and we'll be launching the preschool class very soon. Do we know how soon? Next week. So next Sunday we'll have a preschool class. So um, we are they received them. So training this morning. Um, Florence is going to be teaching that class, and that's um, that's not Florence Howe, that's younger Florence. So some people are like, I didn't know Florence Howe was going to teach a Sunday school class. So but so sorry, Florence, I, I, it's the other Florence. So, but we are so excited um, about that, and that starts next Sunday. And then also you may see the big box out there for Harvest House. School um, is right around the corner. School supplies, the wonderful smell of wooden pencils um, and paper is in all the stores, and we have an opportunity... Um, to help contribute to that, um, there's two ways you can actually participate. You can actually bring school supply items and put them in that box out there. Or there's another option on the right side of the the box out there where you can actually just give a gift card and they'll purchase the items for you. So if you're a shopper and you like to bring those things, or if you're um, cleaning out your hoard of school supplies um, and you have extras, you can put those in there. And um, we would um, we'll pass those on to Harvest House to be a blessing because that's a, a major expense for. For school for a lot of families, and then finally, just men. Just a reminder: tomorrow morning, men's breakfast, um, elk diner, 6:30. Um, we'd love to have you there. It's a it's a great time to fellowship and pray together. Um, I'd like us to read from Second Corinthians. We're going to start reading in verse 16. We're going to read into chapter six, and we're going to start at verse 13. It may seem a little bit strange, but it does carry a thought through to the end that um, I'd like to have on our hearts and our minds as we. Um, We prepare to worship. And let me just say, the thing I was struck by was in the 13th verse of chapter 6, where Paul says that they would widen their hearts. And I'm just beginning to pray, God, would you widen my heart? Would you widen our heart? Help us to reach out to the people around us with the love of Jesus and help us to widen our hearts. We have a focused love that we're great at sharing with. People around us, all of us are, but there's an opportunity that we have on the vast horizon of of lostness, of brokenness, to expand our hearts, to widen our hearts in the love of Jesus and be a part of his wonderful work of reconciliation. So let's listen together. Verse number 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, laborers, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, The Holy Spirit, genuine love by truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true. As unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live. As punished and yet not killed. As sorrowful yet always rejoicing. As poor yet making many rich. As having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you. Corinthians, our heart is wide open. You are bo- not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. Gentlemen, will you come to receive our offer? With me, our Father God in heaven, we do lift our voices in praise to you, giving you honor and glory, for you are the one true God. Dear Lord, we ask that you would be with us today as we worship you, find our hearts together in your love. Dear Lord, now we give to you a portion of what you have given to us, and we thank you and praise you and pray in your Son, Jesus' blessed name. Amen. You stand and sing with us this morning.
1: Covered in shit.
0: Bible is usually helpful. Don't so come close to having it committed to memory. But if you have your Bibles, Hebrews chapter four is where we'll we'll be in just a moment. And if you happen to see a little um, flesh colored little foam circle, um, it's mine. It goes on the end of my microphone, and so um, so if you hear like peas popping or some scratching noises, it's because I I don't have that and. I'm, Put it in Lost and Found. I'll get it later. Um, otherwise, I'll try to be nice. Um, what I talk about Hebrews chapter four as we continue on looking through, um, you know, as we work our way through the the book of Hebrews, we we get to a, a section today where the the author will spend several chapters speaking about the main topic of the book, which is the role of Jesus as the great high priest. And I'm I'm excited. I think you'll find it. Interesting, encouraging, and challenging, um, and so we are we're excited about looking at that today. But I, I wrote um, some things in the introduction a couple of days ago, and and then even in in the light of this morning, it was it makes it even more disappointing. Um, you know, for the most part, storm season is over in in Texas. We have occasional you know pop up thunderstorms. We have these moments of excitement and anticipation as we watch the the weather app that says we have a 60% chance that dwindles to 40%, that dwindles to 20%, and then we see rain just to our, our north and just to our west that passes off. And we are settled into this ongoing pattern. You may not have noticed, but we're, we're pretty much in this hot, no rain um, pattern of weather. Now, I'm not a meteorologist, but it's pretty easy to um, to guess that you're going to wake up in the morning and it's going to be above 80 degrees, it's going to climb to above 100 but every now and then if you're in the right place at the right time, you know, just storms will will pop up out of the heat and whether it's springtime or even in the summer when those storms come, you know, people get ready. They take care to make sure their animals are safe inside. If there's going to be hail or wind, they they bring in their their lawn chairs or at least pick up the cushions unless they want to go pick them up in their neighbor's yard. And they try to secure things and protect things that wind and hail might damage. But even in the midst of that, even though they give those well-placed warnings on your television, on your phone, and if you're in the city limits, you even get the the sirens that go off, you know, there's still people that ignore those warnings, and even though they ignore the warning, the storms still cause problems. And I was thinking about those, those storms, and even more importantly, thinking about the storms that we endure in life. It doesn't matter if it's spring or summer or winter or fall, any time of the month, any time of the day, there are storms that are present in our lives that for many are real, they're ongoing, and they're problematic. But I want you to know the good news today is there's help available. And maybe in your heart of hearts, you're you're crying out like the Beatles sang so many years ago, help, I need somebody, help, not just Anybody help, you know, I need someone help. And I'm here today to tell you that God knows you need help, and He has a plan, a plan that's from the very beginning. And it's not just anybody that we need, it's the person of Jesus that we need. And I hope that by the end of what we look at this morning, that we'll understand a little better that in Jesus, who is our great high priest, we find. Mercy and grace to meet our every need. Now, now, what does that mean? That means that even when the storms of life are raging around you, God knows what's going on. He has a plan. And when we trust in Jesus and run to Him, we find mercy and grace. Help, as the verses tell us, for our every need. So we just have three verses. They're at the end of chapter 4. I want to read them together. Mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Thank you, O Lord, for the opportunity that we have to be here together. We know it is not by accident, but it's by your design. And so we trust that by the power of your Spirit and the truth of your word, you'll speak to every heart in this room. Lord, you know how to uniquely communicate your truth to each person. You know what the needs are. Lord, you know what the cries of their heart are. And so God, I pray this morning that as we meet with you, you would speak to them. You would help us to see that we have a great high priest. His name is Jesus, and he came to provide mercy and grace to meet our need. Help us to see it and live it. In Jesus' name, amen. So just three verses, and in those verses, there's a great declaration that Jesus is the great high priest, and we'll look at that in a minute, that he's better than all the other priests that came before him. And then... Following that, there's a command that we are to follow, and those two commands are to hold fast and draw near. We'll see what those mean. And then finally, we'll find out that when we adhere to those commands, we find mercy and grace. So the bulletin may look a little daunting. I hope it's not. It really just, they're guardrails to keep me um, on track. And so their blanks are easy to fill in. It's not rocket science. You can probably fill them in before we even get started, but they just keep the train on the tracks so that we reach the station hopefully on time. And the first thing is simply this. We have a great high priest. It's the phrase there in verse 14. Since, then we have a great high priest. What can we learn from that? How would should that motivate us? Well, we find in this phrase is that that Jesus is the great high priest that's better than any earthly priest. You know, that high priest office was established by God, chosen from among men to minister to the people, to be the one that would go between God and the people and between people and God. And there had been many earthly high priests who oversaw the the worship that was going on. They entered into the most holy place one time a year on that day of atonement to offer sacrifice. And they're called different places in Scripture a priest, anointed priest, chief priest, and even high priest. But there's no one before or after Jesus that has been called the great high priest. No one ever existed that was a great high priest until Jesus. And so as we open this section, it like I said earlier, it shows us a new topic in the book of Hebrews that goes all the way through chapter 10, that Jesus is the great high priest. That while the, the, the ministry of the earthly priest would come to an end, His ministry is everlasting. That He didn't go in to make sacrifice. He Himself was the sacrifice, a once and final sacrifice for sin. And that now that his work is finished, he's seated at God's right hand, not just doing nothing, but he is ministering to his people continually through his work of reconciliation, through his intercession. And the passage tells us that he's the great high priest because he passed through the heavens. Now, we pass through a lot of places. You know, we we pass through towns as we're on the road. But here, the meaning is not that he simply just drove through and saw the sights, it meant that after his death, after his resurrection, 40 days after that time, he ascended or he passed through the heavens and returned to the place where he originated from. And now he's seated there in the heavens at God's right hand. Why? Because the work that God had given him to do, the work of redemption was finished. And now he continues on to be a minister on our behalf. So he's ascended, and now he's there eternally in God's presence. He's in that place of rest that we talked about a few weeks ago that hopefully we will one day enter into. And because he's there and has prepared a place, we know that when we get there, it truly will be a place of rest. But the verses also remind us not only is he that One who passed through the heavens. He is both God and man. You see the phrase, Jesus, the Son of God. Now, it really doesn't seem very special. We see that a lot of different places in in the Scripture. But if you put them together, you see Jesus, which is the name that He was given. You shall call His name Jesus. Mary and Joseph instructed His parents to name Him Jesus because He would be the one that would save His people from their sins. And then you have the phrase, Son of God. Pointing to the fact that, you know, God's only Son left heaven, came to earth so he could be like us, so he could be with us, ultimately, so we could one day be with him. So he's the one and only, the unique, original, eternal son of God. The only person who ever existed that was a hundred percent God and a hundred percent man, and we marvel at the wonder of the mystery, but we're so thankful because. He is who He says He is, and He did what He came to do. We can have eternal life. One man said it this way, Jesus, the Son of God, is the perfect combination of humanity and deity. And we'll find that's important as we look into the coming weeks to this role of high priest as Jesus, that He knows what what we undergo, what happens to us. He's been there, He's walked in our shoes, and He can sympathize. And He can minister. And so we know that you know, Jesus was a, a real person. He walked among men on earth. He's the one that was the author of salvation. And He rules and reigns eternally. But now, He's currently ministering. And even better than that, He's not only God and man, but He's been there and He understands. Isn't it wonderful to have someone in your life that has at least walked in some measure through a circumstance that you are, are walking through? Somebody that can understand. It's great to be able to, to lean on them for wisdom, to find compassion. But in Jesus we find someone who is, where every, everyone is able to relate to Him. You know, some people just don't relate to us, you know, they, they relate better to others. But Jesus is relatable to everyone. It's in verse 15. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. So he's using a negative there to state a positive that he's already talked about earlier in chapter 2. We have a high priest who is more than able to sympathize with our weakness. But then he says, but one who is in every respect... And who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now, after you scratch your head a moment about that, and, and I wonder, gosh, what exactly does that mean? How does that apply? Let's let's think about that just a second. You know, the main thing that we need to take from that passage is Jesus is able to sympathize with us in our weakness. Why? Because He endured every trial and temptation known to man. Another... Man said it this way, Jesus knows the human condition because He walked in our shoes. He felt in our skin. And He can sympathize because He came to earth to be one of us. And because of that, He can sympathize. Now we have to be careful because we have to understand that even though Jesus was tempted in all those ways, He didn't sin. The text tells us that. And in that thought, we need to remember that temptation by itself is not sin. We're, we're tempted in all kinds of ways all the time, but temptation is not sin. It's when we give in to that temptation that we sin. And so when we look at you know Jesus, we see one who was tempted in every way, like us, but did not sin. And you think about, you know, I mentioned earlier the thought that, that you know, we need somebody that's walked in our shoes, that's been down the road we've been in. But here we have someone who has endured every trial, every temptation, and walked down that road to the fullest extent of the power. Now, you might say, well, but yeah, but wouldn't somebody that's been through the the pain and the hurt and the brokenness of sin have more compassion? No, because at some point they gave in, At less than the full strength of the temptation. But Jesus saw it through all the way to the end. So he knows the very agony of frustration. Think about his time in the wilderness as he's hungry, he's alone, he's separated, and he's tempted with all these things from Satan, and he endures. You know, and he's weak. And angels minister. Think about in the Garden of Eden when he's has this opportunity, you know, he's he's praying for God's will to be done, but you have this agony of what's coming ahead. You know, where the devil would have loved nothing more than Jesus to just bow out and call on those angels to to rescue him. And he saw that trial, that temptation through to the very end, and in every circumstance, every trial, every temptation, he remained perfectly faithful to the end. And so when we think of this Temptation, 1 John 2.16 in the New Living Translation, just describes those categories like this. um, Craving for physical pleasure. um, A craving for things that we see and pride in our achievements and in our possessions. And while Jesus may not have experienced the exact type of temptation, the exact situation with the exact people that you're enduring... He endured the forces behind those, the cravings for power, for physical pleasure, for achievement, possession, recognition, the opportunity or the maybe the thought in the mind to, to bow out before things were completed. And only because He endured all those things without sin is He qualified to be our perfect sacrifice for sin. And only because He endured those things to the fullest is He able to sympathize with you and I in our our weakness. Millard Erickson, theologian, says it this way, As a human, Jesus felt the full force of temptation and the temptations He faced were real, inviting Him to sin. However, as God, He would not and did not Sin, And so in this declaration, in the opening sentence, we find we have a great high priest who's better than any earthly priest. He's both God and man, and he's been where we were and are, and he understands. And this information is to encourage and to strengthen us, to to motivate us, to, to move forward in our faith, or to do what he says in these two phrases, to hold fast and to draw near. Now, I've broken this down, and in, in, the, in, in, the in verse 14 you find this, let us hold fast our confession, or hold on to the faith. Now, now the verb there it means to hold on to something firmly, to grab on to something with force, to cling tightly to with the intention of not letting go. And the idea behind the word is the idea of commitment, grabbing a hold of a, a truth, grabbing a hold of a, a person, And responding with belief and trust. To express your allegiance, your devotion to something. And this truth that we have, this wonderful profession of faith, is the good news of Jesus, the gospel, the the power that brings salvation. And there's a constant need that we have to hold on to that. reminds me that, you know, no matter how far along we think we are in the faith, we never outgrow our need for, you know, the power of the gospel, that transforming, wonder-working power. You know, we continue to have faith. We continue to trust in it. We persevere through trials. We endure suffering. We see them as necessary parts of what God is doing in our life to to, motive, to mold us in the likeness of Jesus. But then also when we hold on to that faith, there's also a need to have you know, active application of what you believe. Putting that faith into practice, not just saying, yeah, I, I believe that, I believe that, and checking off the boxes, but doing something with it. And So because we have this great high priest who is Jesus, God's only son, we should hold on to the faith that we profess with a, a firm grip. Now, we have to be honest and realize that at times our grip, it might be challenged. You know, you've all probably done that sometime. You know, you're somebody grabs you on the arm and they're like, you know, see if you can get, get free. get in, You know, you can get, break free, you know. And, and you find out that there is a breaking point for your grip. And sometimes your grip is going to be challenged. It may feel weak. It may not be as strong as you seem. And sometimes it may not even seem worth it, the grip. Why am I holding on to this truth when, God, I'm not seeing you? Do the things I think you should do, and I'm not experiencing the things I feel like I should experience. But the overwhelming you know, truth here should be is to hang in and, and hold on. It may be rough, but it's gonna get better. You know, I I remember um you know riding some of those rides at I think it's I don't remember it's called Hurricane Harbor now. I think it was wet and wall back at the time. But you know, there was this one where you you rode on this little donut, you think it looked like an inner tube and they you went down this outrageously, you know, steep um you know thing and you ended at a pool and the lifeguards um, would always tell you, no matter what, hold on to those handles and don't let go. You know, and, and so I remember, you know, one time, I'm this may not surprise y'all but I'm not incredibly coordinated. But but I, I was gonna hold on and I held on and I rolled over and so, you know, I'm upside down holding on. Well, you know, at that point, um, common sense says you let go because you know you're probably not going to do anything with the float above you. <laughs> but you know, I was in my mind, at least for that moment, I was thinking, hold on for you know, hold on because they told you to hold on. And um, and so anyway, and then later on, you know, as I got older, we we went to the you know the river down the Como River, and you go through the tube You know, holding on to your inner tube was necessary because if you didn't, you know, you could lose it. And the same thing is true with our our faith. We have to hold on through the hard times, through the rough times. But we have to always remember that in the midst, even though we feel weak, even though it seems futile, that there is a grip that is holding us tighter than we could ever hold on to anything. That's so wonderful to know. You know, It's not dependent on the strength of your grip. It's, uh, it's dependent on the power of His might that works in us to do His work through us. And so we hold on to the truth and we trust Him to hold on to us. It's first imperative. second one is also based on this fact that Jesus is our great high priest and it's to draw near to the throne. This is where it gets beautiful. This is where we, we start to see in the coming chapters just the wonder of, of Hebrews unfold that we have access to the very throne room of God. And verse 16 introduces that, kind of pulls back the curtain on what is so exciting. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Now, I love this word as I was looking at what this word means. The word there, draw near, literally means to come facing towards. So it speaks of intimacy. It's opening a door and expecting to see a welcoming face. It speaks of of personality. that it's, It's not some feeling that we're looking for. It's a person and it Speaks of relationship that we enter the throne room of heaven to access the throne of grace because we have a personal relationship with a loving Savior. Now, it's interesting, and we'll see, like I said, as we get, and and so much of this is, is later on, but we can touch on it a bit now. You know, that in the Old Covenant, Old Testament, High priest was allowed to enter that most holy place, the Holy of Holies, one time a year to make a sacrifice. So one man, one time a year for a sacrifice. But in the new covenant, the covenant that Jesus made with his blood because of the work he finished on the cross, because he's the great high priest, not just one high priest, but all believers have this wonderful privilege of entering God's presence on an ongoing basis, not once a year, but any time. Access. You know, there's a lot of places in this world that are marked no access, limited access, or authorized personnel only. And when we have faith in Jesus, the throne room of heaven, we are given, because of our relationship with Jesus, an all-access pass. And we enter in not with timidity, but with confidence. Now this confidence is not in ourselves, this is in Jesus. And that confidence word, again, just talking about relationship, literally means to speak all things. It communicates the idea of of free speech, which was very important to the ancient Greeks, those pioneers of democracy. And they wanted to ensure that the people, the citizens of Athens had the freedom to discuss politics, criticize politics, and to have their voice heard. It's the same principle that you know, shows up in our Constitution in the First Amendment. It's, it's a cherished freedom for us as Americans, and it becomes more and more attacked as the day goes on. But even how important that would be to you and I, the freedom of speech in the United States of America, that in Jesus' name, because we have a great high priest, we can approach the throne of grace and we can speak with God freely. Which means you can express your feelings, your emotions, your needs, your struggles. I've said it before, but read the Psalms. God can handle your pain. He can handle your hurt. He can handle your anger. He can handle your frustration. He can handle your questions. And we can be confident that God knows where we are, that He listens to what's on our hearts, and He is willing to speak back into our lives. And we can trust Him to give us exactly what we need. And what is that? It's the third thing. It's that we receive mercy and find grace. So when you draw near to the throne of grace, you'll always find what you It should be encouraging. It should be a a beautiful promise to us that when we hold on to what we know to be true, when we run to Jesus, we find mercy and grace. Why? Because Jesus is ready to help. Look at verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus is able to help. He's willing to help. And because He knows everything, He's over all things, and He's endured all the trials that we go through, His help is always going to be the best. This word, help, the particular word they use for help, it's used twice in the New Testament. You may not care about that, but maybe you will in a second. Um, But here the meaning is just assistance offered to meet someone's need. So, so think about dialing the eight hundred number for AAA, and they come and fix your car. Think about dialing nine one one in the middle of an emergency. That Jesus is ready to help, and the time that He is available—again, just to borrow from the Beatles—is any time at all, any time at all, any time at all. All you've got to do is call, and I'll be there. So it's availability for help at all times. But the other use of the word is interesting, and you may want to read the story. It's in Acts 27, and the word's used in verse 17, but you know, Paul's ship, the ship that he's on, is in a storm. It's about to break apart. And they use this word help to describe the ropes that are tied around the hull of the ship to keep it from breaking apart. And the ropes that they tie around and cinch down support the ship and protect it from the wind and... The waves. If you think about both of those together, He's ready to help and He's willing to help and He's the one that can hold things together. goes right back to Colossians, right? He's the one that's the center of all things and in Him all things hold together. He's ready to help so that we can endure the storms of trials when they come. The waves of temptation that pass over us the winds of suffering that blow up against us, the the downpours of doubt and of fear. He's ready. No matter what you need. When you come to Jesus better than ropes, He wraps His loving arms around you. He holds you. He keeps you. He comforts you. He shapes you. And He's ready to help because Jesus is mercy in person. Mercy is that concept of compassion and pity that does something, that goes and acts on behalf of someone else. So mercy just doesn't sit back and say, oh, poor them. Mercy, you know, does something. And every one of us, without exception, deserves something. And that something is judgment. But God gave His life so that His mercy would be extended to us in that God doesn't give us what we deserve, but He provided what we needed in Jesus because Jesus took our place, died for our sins, and He took our punishment. I want you to listen to this. This is from author Eric Raymond about this particular subject, and he says this, This is the beauty of the cross. God gives us not what we want, but what we need. We want nothing to do with Him, but He extends His mercy, and by this wonderful and mind-blowing display, we now want everything to do with Him. It's mercy. And while mercy holds off what we deserve... God's grace gives us what we don't deserve. And so they work together to, to take us and help us. See, our high priest is full of grace. John chapter 1, verse 14. They're there, John's describing this Jesus who is the living Word. He says He's full of what? Grace and truth. The perfect combination of, of graciousness and truthfulness. And it's that undeserved favor of God, His grace that enables us, not by our own power, but by God's power to live the life that we live. And it's something that everybody needs. Now, you you may have, you know, if, if you're honest, you could probably always, you could probably all talk about a time when you asked, you may not have used the word grace, but... You know, you ask him, hey, can you just show me a little grace? Can you cut me some slack? Um, you know, we all need it. There's no way that anybody can earn it. No one is worthy of receiving it. We don't deserve it. But what does God do? He chooses to freely give it. But we find that grace is ultimately not a thing, but it's, again, a person. Jesus, full of grace and truth. Titus chapter 2 The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. God appeared in person in Jesus to be mercy and grace. And as Augustine said, God gives where He finds empty hands. Are we needy? Have we given up trying to work with our own hands to do things with our own strength and lean into Him when we do, when we give up our own striving, when we hold on to Him, and we run to Him, we find what we need. Now, some of you may know, some of you may not know, but if you don't, you're going to hear more about it in the, in the coming weeks and months. But our, our church is in the, the beginning stages of, of partnering with a ministry called Embrace Grace. It's an outreach ministry to, to moms and dads, families that are, that are dealing with unplanned pregnancy. And their goal is to provide safe places in communities for them to grow in faith and be discipled by a, a loving church family and their their slogan is that they are they're they're not a pro-life movement they're a pro love movement and, and i'm I'm very excited to see what you know God may have on the horizon but as I was thinking about that title embrace Grace, I was thinking about this you know if we want to work with God and bring this ministry, Embrace Grace to Cross Timber, then first of all, we as God's people have to be embraced by God's grace. We have to live and walk in that. And that means no more guilt, no more condemnation. It means that when we have sin, we confess it, we receive the cleansing and forgiveness, and we, we walk in the the freedom of forgiveness, that we have graciousness in our speech, graciousness in our actions, that we are held by the hands of the One who provides mercy and grace. Because only when we experience and understand grace can we offer grace to others. And that we not only are embraced by that, but we embrace God's grace in our lives and live it out. That means judgment and condemnation have to go that means that we need more truth and more love and more mercy and more grace understanding that when we look around at each other we all have junk we all have ugly stuff in our past that because of God's grace has been forgiven and we are redeemed and we find out in the inner workings of that, the grace is messy business. But it's God's business. And we don't have to go at it alone. We have a great high priest who in Him alone we can find mercy and grace to meet our every. What does your time of need look like today, July 16th? You know, maybe those trials, the storms are are raging around you. Maybe just you're experiencing wave after wave of temptation, and you're like, Lord, I thought that was gone, I thought that was dealt with, but the temptation keeps coming. Maybe it's the winds of suffering. How long is this going to last? How long is this going to hurt? What is this you're doing? Or maybe doubt and fear are raining down in your life, and you don't feel like there's a sunny day. Left. But when we rise above the clouds, we see that there is a sun that still shines and a Savior who still waits. And I want to give you just three reminders before we pray. Maybe you find these encouragement. I don't know. We'll just have to see. Number one, you have not outlived God's mercy. If you're here today, if you're alive, you haven't outlived God's mercy. The only people that outlive God's mercy are the people that have died and have willingly chosen to reject what God has offered. So if you're here today, you know what? Mercy is still available. Second, you have not out God's grace. That word's in quotes because I'm not sure that's a real word. Um, but I liked it, so I used it. You have not out God's grace. where sin abounds, God's grace abounds even more. So if you're looking at the resume of your life and thinking, I don't match up, God can't do anything with me, you're dead wrong. If you think you've blown it, that your application has been rejected for service to the Lord, you're wrong. If you think I'm unlovable, I'm untouchable, I'm unsavable, you're dead wrong. Because the third thing is this. Right now, Jesus is ready to help. Mercy and grace in your time of need. Back to the Beatles and we're done. Help, I need somebody. God knows. He has a plan. Help, not just anybody. God sent His only Son, Jesus. Help, you know I need someone. Trust in Jesus. Run to Him. Find mercy and grace. Help. Call out, and in Him you find the help that you have for every need. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may be. That's the wrong verse. Ah, there it is. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we are grateful for your goodness. We're thankful for your mercy and your grace. And we're thankful that in all things that it doesn't depend on us. You're just asking for our trust. You're asking for our hearts. For our willingness to cooperate with you in the work that you want to do and you provide. That when we trust, when we hold on, when we enter into your presence, you begin to do your work and it's always a good work. So Lord, in the coming days as you desire to work in us so you can work through us, help us to, to see that what you're doing is good. To not run from the conviction that you bring to call out sin so we can receive forgiveness and healing. That we wouldn't shrink back from the callings that you have to, to reach out and extend mercy and grace to others. That we wouldn't see ourselves as inadequate. Lord, we would see ourselves as available. And that in our availability, that you take our inabilities, our inadequacies, our imperfections and You use them as opportunities for your power, for your strength, and your goodness to shine through our lives. Lord, help us today to see Jesus high and lifted up as our great high priest, the one who is able to provide mercy and grace in our time of need. And let us hold firm to the truth of the gospel and to come into your presence with confidence. Pray this in your name, of Lord Jesus. Amen. Jeff's going to play some music quietly this morning, and we have an opportunity to, to take these verses and, and begin to apply them, not just for a one-time moment, but for a continuing moment. To, to draw near to the throne of grace, to call out and to begin to Feel the presence of the Savior and the ministry that He provides to bring mercy and grace. To reflect on the, the truth that these verses bring out. Maybe to lift up a burden and lay it down before the Lord. Maybe to to just pray for God to clarify a vision or a ministry that He He has for you. Maybe to say, yes, God, I, I'm willing to to serve in this place and to be, you know, a part of this church family or or whatever, or maybe just for the first time it's just became crystal clear that, okay, I've heard a lot about Jesus and a lot about salvation, but you know, today I, I just it became real and I want to make that commitment. Whatever it is, we're going to play some music quietly. You can stay where you are. If you need someone to pray with you, I'll be at the front. If you need someone else, you can grab them as well. But let's listen to God as the music plays quietly and come close to his presence. I do want to thank y'all for worshiping with us this morning, and do want to again extend the invitation. Please stay um, for lunch. It only takes a couple of minutes to get the tables set up, and we'll enjoy food. And um, there'll be plenty. And hey, you can have my dessert. Um, so you can even have seconds of what my dessert would have been. So I'll make that offer to anyone. So, um, but please stay um, if you if you're able to. We would love to enjoy that time of fellowship together. I want to thank y'all for worshiping. Our worship team's already in place and they're going to lead us in a song and once the song is over, you're dismissed and we can start getting ready for lunch. So let's stand together and sing.